Hey, Rewatchers. Keith here. It's the holiday season at Rewatch Headquarters, so this week we're releasing another Adrian Tape. This week we present Tape 2 of Season 2 of the Adrian Tapes, where he talks about his experiences doing the second season of the show from Episode 1, The Watchers, through The Return of Amanda. Adrian discusses new guest stars like Sheena Easton and Tracy Lords, saying hello to Jim Burns and The Watchers, saying goodbye to Alexander Vandernoot, Richie's Immortality, and a dodgy motorcycle ride. Hope you enjoyed this Adrian tape. Happy listening. two had an array of interesting characters for many different reasons. One, because there were some interesting casting choices that year in the form of rock stars such as Sheena Easton and Roland Gift, but also with actors such as Tracy Lord, Jonathan Banks, Grant Wynne Davies, and also Bruce Weiss. But the structure that had lasted through season one was about to change with the death of Tessa and the immortalization of Richie. So... We therefore felt we needed a group of recurring characters with whom Matt could deal with on a week-to-week basis. These characters could bring in their own stories and problems to the party so that the audience could identify with them rather than having a new character brought in every week. We knew from the very beginning of the year that Alexandra Vandernoot wanted to move on to other things and that in three or four shows into the season, the structure of Highlander would again change drastically. In these first few episodes, we saw the negative effect Max's mortality had on his relationship with Tessa. Maybe the writers wanted to foreshadow what's about to happen. The structure actually began to change with the very first show, with the introduction of Jim Burns, who played Joe Dawson, the leader of a secret organization called The Watchers. Oh, I was wondering if you could help me. I have this book. Sorry, do we know each other? Maybe I can help. It's all right, I'll take care of this. Go ahead. I'm an antique dealer. I came across this book, but I can't really tell much about it. I don't mean to stare. It's an old habit. You know, I'm afraid it's not going to be worth very much in this condition. Well, I'm really just curious. Beautiful illustrations. Probably the work of monks. Yeah, perhaps. Never seen it before? Uh, No. I might be interested in buying it. Really, I thought you said it wasn't worth anything. Well, it's for me. Uh, I have a weakness for beautiful things. Uh, I'm sorry, it's not for sale. I give you a fair price. Yeah, thanks anyway. Look, if you change your mind, I'm Joe Dawson. Okay, thanks. As to whether this new entity would work, nobody knew. But the concept was very interesting. The Watchers were thought to be a peaceful organization who were formed only to observe and were of no harm to the immortals. But in the very first episode, we see this not to be true, with Mac being hunted by one of their members, James Horton, played by Peter Hudson. James Horton, pleased to meet you. Duncan McLeod. I just got back from Paris. Oh, how nice. What brings you to this part of the world? I was looking for someone. An old friend. No, my old friend died unexpectedly. Peter was not new to the series. We saw him chasing Mac down in the first season finale. His character, I thought, was very interesting since he didn't fit into the Immortal of the Week concept. And I was glad when his character was brought back later in the season for four more episodes, making him the nemesis of the year. 
Studies in Light was the second show of the season. Here we saw the twist in the plot of a disillusioned immortal in the form of Joel Weiner, who needed to feel what being alive really meant, because his immortality had dulled his senses and was now putting himself and others in danger so that he could feel alive. But the show also gave us something else. What would it be like for Max should he encounter someone from his past that he'd fallen in love with before, and had now grown old and was near death? What strengthened the relationship, I think, between Mac and Tessa was that she wasn't jealous of his love for this other mortal woman, but perhaps a little afraid for herself about what she would become. And would Mac love her when she was old and grey? Well, I think the answer came in the final scene. <laughs> Don't ask me to explain, Linda. It's not something you need to understand now. But what you need to understand is that you've always been very important to me. It's not the first time I've imagined this. No, Linda, it's not your imagination. I wanted to tell you the first time I saw you in the gallery. I'm so proud of you. Always have been. Tell me you believe me. You have to believe me. <laughs> Even though I never took pictures of kittens and flower vases. Or freshly baked pies. I should never have left you. I was so young. And beautiful and, and talented. In the third episode, we were lucky enough to have as our guest star Grant Wynn Davies, who in his own right was the lead in the series Forever Night. Grant's a very good actor with a lot of stage training behind him, and we had a lot of fun while we were shooting. I called his housekeeper, said he was going to be working late. There's a chance we can get there before Barnes. Hey, Clark, remember, this is my fight. <laughs> but this episode also showed us what danger Tessa was constantly in having an immortal as a boyfriend. A danger that was realized in the following show, The Darkness. Which is one that many of you I'm sure can remember because many things happened in this one that were unexpected and totally out of the norm. Alex and I had worked together for 26 shows now. And we developed a certain bond, especially with actors and as people, that grows over time. So there was a little mixture of sadness and joy that Alex was moving on to something else. Alex and I actually had a lot of fun shooting this episode, especially the scene when I asked her to marry me. Let's get married. What do you mean, married? I mean married as in married. You mean as in a proposal? Married as, will you marry me, married? Well, is this better? <laughs> will you marry me? Will you marry me? That's not an answer. Listen, do you think she should marry me? You think she should marry me? I think she should marry me. Don't you all think right, she should marry all me? All right, yes. Yes. I'll marry you. Yes. <laughs> Obviously, singing was never my forte. Will you marry me? My throat's gone. Will you marry me? Also in this episode, we learned that Mac would never marry, foreshadowing that either he and Tessa would split up or something worse would happen. But the death of a character on a show like this was a very delicate thing to achieve. What the writers didn't want to happen was Tessa dying at the hands of another immortal and decided as in real life, when everything seems hunky-dory, a tragedy could occur. 
The last scene when Tessa was killed came out of left field, and I know a lot of people were very disappointed at seeing her killed so easily, but isn't that how life is? We're here one minute and gone the next. Now, give me your keys. I want your rings, wallet, necklace. Come on. Yeah, okay. Come on. Real, come on. All right. That's all you got? You got more. Where's the purse? I don't have a purse. I swear. Tessa's death was not the only change that would affect the structure of Highlander that year, but also Richie Ryan becoming immortal. Although Richie's character had been this vagabond kid from the streets, the last thing he thought was that he was immortal. Many people have asked me, how did he become immortal? And was Duncan aware that he was? Well, the answer to the first question is that an immortal is like a butterfly. When it's in a cocoon, it has the genes to become one, but doesn't sprout to life until the old life has ended. And yes... Duncan did know Richie was immortal, but who could he tell? You're one of us now. The last but not least interesting thing the show gave us was an interesting guest star in the shape of Tracy Lords, who played Greta, the clairvoyant hoster, who didn't realize she had real powers. Mister, I do an act, a little theater for the paying customers. My mother had the gift, but I never did. You don't now. Last night was my first time, my only time. It's not going to happen again. Please. I'm sorry I'm blank. Nothing. The only thing I get a picture of is the pizza I had for lunch. Try again. This episode also presented McLeod with another set of problems and another interesting guest star in the form of Sheena Easton, who played Annie. Many people have said that McLeod's relationship with Annie was way too quick after Tessa's death. However, what the writers were trying to convey was that in McLeod and Annie's loss, the need for companionship was greater than any other thought process going on at the time, and their romp on the pier came out of a drunken need for love. It never happened. Funny seemed real enough to me. Don't start me, McLeod. You know what I mean. It was an accident. Maybe we should have had that accident years ago. We would have. Didn't you know that? If I would have joined you. Doesn't matter now. I know what I am and what I have to do. You don't have to do anything last night. Last night we were drunk. Is it all it was? It really doesn't matter, McLeod. It's a blood debt, you know that? Richie's life for Tommy's. I have no choice. And neither will I. You come after Richie, you'll have to go through me. Now, Richie, too, had his problems, since he was to face Annie and McLeod had to train him. Stan had a new role in the series, and just as Duncan wanted for Richie, I wanted Stan to be ready to play anymore. This was a perfect opportunity to teach Stan and Richie a thing or two about how tough it could really get. Standard to deal with. In this episode, we saw McLeod allow Richie to learn that the game of immortality wasn't as clear cut as facing an immortal and cutting his head off. McLeod, too, at this point was relatively dark since Tessa's death and Richie's immortality were things that weighed him down. Maybe this is what the writers meant by killing one character and giving birth to another that life and death were just one big circle. 
deep, man, deep. In the zone, we see Charlie giving McLeod problems when he wants to tag along with him, but not knowing he's possibly delving into immortal business. You need somebody to be a guy, or at least somebody to watch your back. Well, look, if you're not going to take me, how about Richie? <laughs> Richie's out of this. Oh, well, then, that leaves me then, doesn't it? Uh, look, I grew up down there. I still know a lot of people. This isn't your business, Charlie. Not my business? <laughs> Listen, man, you get yourself killed, I lose my shot at a rematch. Well, look at the bright side, Charlie. You'd win by default. Mac's dark nature was apparent at this point because of all the recent events surrounding his life, but things were about to change with the return of Amanda. I'd enjoyed working with Elizabeth Grayson in Lady and the Tiger in year one. And this time, we had even more fun dressing up in the 1940s costumes for the flashbacks. The relationship Mac enjoyed with Amanda can be clearly seen when they meet in the bar she's hanging out in. What are you doing in Berlin? I'm trying to save the sites before they're all gone. I could show you a few that aren't on the tourist guide. <laughs> Thanks for the offer, but I'm all booked up. From what I can see, you must be pretty busy yourself. Never too busy for you, McLeod. A funny thing that happened on this show, and not a lot of people know about, was during the flashback scene in the airport, where McLeod sends Amanda and the scientists off into the skies and has to escape on a motorbike. What you saw on the screen as Mac flees down the road being chased by a car is a scene reminiscent of Paul Newman in The Great Escape. As you see McLeod disappearing into the ditch, seemingly taking off across the fields, is exactly what we had in mind at the time. The idea of the shot came from an idea I'd given Dennis about his end sequence in the flashback. Since he'd set the cameras up to shoot the arrival of the motorbike and the Secret Service vehicle, I told Dennis that maybe he wanted to keep the cameras rolling once they passed out of frame, and I could switch with the guy on the bike and ride off away from camera with the car chasing me. Well, Dennis thought it was a good idea. I set up the shot, cameras rolled, vehicles exited shot, I climbed onto the bike and waited for the car to turn around, and then we all sped off into frame. But as I changed gear from second to third, the bike lurched. Maybe I hit a bump. Or maybe I wasn't used to riding a sidecar, but the bike started to veer off to the side of the road, and I had no choice but to head for the ditch and disappeared out of sight. Luckily, the bike didn't tip over, and I came to a relatively smooth stop. And looking back, I saw the crew and teams just running towards me, hoping that either the bike hadn't been damaged or I hadn't. I wasn't quite sure which. Deep, man, deep. Thanks for listening to that Adrian tape with us. Next week, we'll be back with a very special holiday video episode. Although, spoiler alert, uh, I might have messed up some of the video parts. So, fun. Uh, so, make sure to tune into our Facebook page next week. And we're also going to post it on our Patreon page as well. Thanks again for listening this week. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.